You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Welcome to For the Lore, this is Roger, and we are back for part two of our E3 coverage. We're going to be covering the individual developers, as well as the PC gaming conference, and the other that didn't fit in, but was still awesome and we want to talk about. Let's start with Bethesda. Joe, I'm going to get you to go through this. Oh, yes, Bethesda, the one that I've been waiting for, for basically ever. Uh, So they started with probably some, what I would call, I don't want to say lackluster, but some of their weaker stuff where they announced two new DLCs for Fallout 4, which were going to be centered around building again, which I know some people are absolutely crazy about. Who would have thought when we first saw Fallout 4 that the town building mechanic would be what most people are interested in? Justifiably, that built a vault, you can essentially turn the game into Fallout Mm -hmm. Shelter. That was awesome. I thought and that that I did I did like and I thought that was really cool because the 3D representation of literally the Fallout Shelter view where they pan through was kind of cool and the fact that you can build your own settlement and become an overseer and even run experiments <laughs> on, your, on their followers I thought that was kind of nifty. Uh, the other one uh, it's got conveyor belts. There was also okay. Nuka World as well, which is hell adding a whole new faction to the world as well. Yeah, which a Nuka World I kind of missed a little bit on. So if you want to talk about that, feel free. They didn't really say a ton about it. So, and I didn't catch any developer interviews later on that specifically added more to it. Just the, again, it's the the big thing about it is that it's adding the new faction to the world. Yeah, and I guess it's trying to like I guess the the goal of it is to try to encourage players to become raiders, which is interesting. So instead of being a hero, it wants you to be a villain. I don't know. I just you can be a hero in Fallout. I know, right? I I just want to walk around in the giant Nuka Cola mascot costume, which apparently is a thing. <laughs> that needs to be a follower. I want well, it needs to be a costume I can put on my followers, and then I'll be happy. But that was kind of cool. Uh, there was also a hidden gem, which I I don't know if anybody else caught this, but there was a DOS screen that popped up for a little oh, bit. Oh yes, yeah, and it was keen. Wolf 3D, New Order, Old Blood, New Colossus with no dates, and then all the Doom stuff with all their plans on how to release, like, what they're going to do in the following time. So that was a really big Easter egg and something that a lot of people, uh, at least people that I saw picked up on and were like, (gasps) New Wolfenstein, which justified New Order was great. New Order was fantastic. Old Blood was actually pretty good, too. I and with the success of the new Doom that they just released, Doom Four, uh, yes please, I would very much so like another Wolfenstein. Yes please. Mm-hmm. Uh, they showed off some more Doom content. Uh, there's going to be a paid DLC that's going to add new maps, a new demon armor, and more. And then there's going to be a bunch of free updates that are going to be delivering different modes of gameplay, like the original Deathmatch, which is missing from the current one. How do you launch a Doom game without Deathmatch? Yeah, I didn't know about that. 
but they did, and it didn't really hinder the but, game that much. To my knowledge, they actually outsourced a lot of the multiplayer development, but uh, they've since brought it back home. <laughs> That's fine, and I'm okay with that. That was kind of cool. Um, there was, of course, the Screaming Lady, which really oh, liked certain things. <laughs> I, I, I just the world's gonna, I, biggest Elder Scrolls Online she fan. She was so into Elder Scrolls Online. Now, this one I'll actually let Roger talk about a little bit because I wasn't too excited about it, but he seemed to be really excited about Dark Brotherhood. Well, I always have been. Of course he was. I mean, anybody who has played Dark Brotherhood loves those quests. They are among the best, with the Thieves Guild being second. So to hear that they're finally putting it in, because they talked about this for a while. So... It's going to be available for 2,000 crowns, which comes up to approximately 20 bucks, which I think is a little high, but depends on just how much is in there. The way they're talking, though, like, yeah, there's going to be different quest lines for the Dark Brotherhood. You're going to be essentially being hunted by a black armored warrior who's trying to bring you down and bring down various agents. So you're doing that. You're also going to be doing various questing for and, and contract killing for the Dark Brotherhood. They're changing up different passives that you can have so that you can basically slay with impunity and not have to worry about being hunted down. It, it, it kind of doesn't make sense because they're they're doing it in terms of who you are aligning yourself with and they're saying like the, those if the deaths are, are sanctioned by Sithis, then the quote-unquote you're the hand of the void and the rules of justice for those that are bound by Nern are not the same as those who are directed by the ideas of Sithis. So, you know, I still think if the law sees you stab someone to death, they're probably going to try to stop you. There's going to be new zones as well, the Gold Coast, which we haven't really seen since Oblivion. So that's going to be kind of cool as well. And then they also talked about the the one Tamriel thing, which a lot of MMOs have changed their the way they do things to do it exactly this way. And I think as we go forward, more MMOs that are cropping up are going to launch with this feature. And that is, of course, it basically you can quest wherever you want and the content will either level you up to that content or it will be downgraded or upgraded to whatever your level is. So that's something that's always appreciated because whether you're gaming with somebody else in your party that's not your same level or you just are tired of where you are and you'd rather follow the storyline where it's going to go, then that it's always a positive thing. Like, I'm, I'm so happy they've done that in SWOTOR. It's made a huge difference in terms of my enjoyment of leveling up new characters. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, and that's a feature that like you said a lot of MMOs are, are starting to latch on to, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And necessary, as well as uh, there was talk. Of, I don't know if it was the ESO one where they talked about like the sidekicking system. Uh, I think that was involving the Tamriel one, Tamriel. Yeah. So it, during that, they were talking about where if you want to play with somebody who's a much higher level than you, that the content will like that person will either scale down to you or you will scale yeah. up to them. That's the one and, Tamriel stuff. Yeah, but it, I think that was kind of cool because you, as the players, uh, like. That's one of the things I really loved about City of Heroes back in the day is that you could do that. And that was like 2000, 2001. And to see it actually crop back up is kind of a cool thing because it lets you play with your friends. And that's how I play MMOs. I don't like playing them alone. I like playing them with friends. That alone might actually get me to try ESO. Any chance to bring up City of Heroes with him? Seriously. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Like, no, y'all don't have games like that. Shush. 
The ESO has come a long way since launch. I, I'm not, I played it for a, a tiny little bit there, but then I kind of put it on hold when I've been doing the uh, SWOTOR stuff with uh, the stuff that's going on now. But I'm thinking once that's done, I may go back to this for a little bit more serious gameplay because I like a lot of the changes that they've made. And that one, Tamriel, is a big one, actually. It will make a big difference in terms of where I want to just drop my, my tent and, and quest that area kind of thing. Now, along the same lines of Elder Scroll, we also got Skyrim Special Edition official announcement, where it is a complete visual graphic update to the classic Elder Scrolls Skyrim, which is showing its age at this point, which I thought was kind of cool that they're actually going to do it. But it's also going to be available for people that already own the game as a separate DLC download that you can spend. I think it's like fourteen dollars on fourteen ninety nine something like that, and you can actually download the upgraded version. Well, so not me, only that, um, if you own the game on PC with all the expansions, because the the remaster version comes with the expansions. But if you already know own the base game and all the expansions, you get the upgrade for free. That's huge. That's really huge. Now, why this is important for me and why I really perked up at this, I couldn't finish Skyrim. I couldn't get into it like I had the other games. This might get me back into it and might actually get me to finish it. So then from there, we had more about the game that I think all of us are very excited about, which is Dishonored 2. And we actually got to see a bunch of the gameplay, not just uh, generic gameplay stuff, but we actually got to see Emily and how her powers work and how she traverses the world, how she has new takedowns with her shadow step. And it was absolutely gorgeous. And I like the fact that they spoke specifically about the fact that they want players to break the game and figure out how to get around stuff as they see fit how they work all those new powers together, how everything interacts is entirely up to the player, and they're making sure that all those systems are in place to let us do whatever the hell we want. So I don't know. What did you guys think about Dishonored 2? I'm a little worried about Emily. (laughs) That's because you didn't raise her right. (laughs) Well, in one of my playthroughs, I raised her right. But I don't know. Like Her version of the powers seem a little more dark and twisted than Corvo's do. I mean, I think that's cool as hell, and I'm really interested in seeing where it's going, but definitely her source of power or the version of the powers that the outsider gives her are very different from Corvo's. Of course, they need to be different from a gameplay standpoint, but it's it's very dark, very dark, and I actually really love it. Well, it's, it's interesting because they established in the first game that the powers given to you by the outsider whenever whenever you are granted them are a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. So Corvo is a very, it's going to sound goofy, but he's a very pure stalwart figure. His powers are very straightforward. Even, even his possession is momentary. It's not like, you know, something horrific, really. Uh, that's it's very indicative of his character, which makes me wonder about, like you said, about Emily and what's inside. Because, I mean, you got to understand, she watched her mother be murdered in front of her. She didn't know Corvo was her dad until way, way later. She was kidnapped, watched her her kingdom suffer under this effects of this huge plague. 
and then was thrust into a role of leadership at a very young age. She's going to be a dark, fucked up individual, and I'm kind of okay with that. Well, not just dark, but intelligent as well. Because oh, yes. by design, with using the AOE, like we, we talked about it before, and here we got to see it demonstrated, where the one attack now is affecting multiple people. So it's so not cool. just the dark, it yeah. is very intelligent gameplay as well, decisions made. I adored it. Now, the other thing that I thought was cool you is they talked about... people in the ass. You could shoot people <laughs> in the ass. pull off a Deadpool. <laughs> The heart is making a return for both play, for mm-hmm. both playable characters. Uh, Corvo's heart is still a heart. Looks like Emily's is more compass-like with a couple interesting features. And I'll talk about those in a second. But there is going to be a lot of emphasis on exploration in this game, just like in the first game, where the bone charms are still going to be present throughout the world, and you are going to want to find them. Yeah. And so the heart is going to be a big part of that. What I thought was cool was the time traveling. Oh, bit. my God. So here you enter a manor, and it's very dilapidated. And here there was an arcane event that occurred. And you're going through, and it didn't tell you why you were going through, which I thought was interesting. But as you use the heart or the compass, there's these little pieces of glass, mirrors almost, that fan up and lets you see into the past. So as you're going through this this area, you're seeing the guards, you're seeing the doors, you're seeing how everything was before it became this dilapidated mess. And if you so choose, you can teleport back to that time. And then you can murder people. Or you can use that to get through puzzles and doors and traps. You can use that to set traps. And then you can go back to the past and watch everything unfold. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure the spoiler is you are the arcane event. uh, But I'm kind of okay with that too. Because it was just a very interesting, very clever, elegant way of handling time travel in a video game in real time. And I thought that was really, really cool. And fuck the butterfly effect. (laughs) That means nothing. You're killing one dude. He's just not going to be there later. (laughs) Well, you know, and that's an interesting that that has sparked on the forums and the boards a very interesting debate of whether or not this game actually has anything like the butterfly effect or if this is all like what you do is just scripted as this is actually what happened and you're just fulfilling destiny type thing. There's been a whole heated debate just about that sequence which I think is kind of cool. And if anybody can make it work, it's Arcane. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, from there, we also got new Quake news because, okay. That came out of nowhere. That yeah. came out of left field. Quake Champions. So arena-style combat coming back again. Well, we're that- seeing it again with all these other team-based shooters right now, so it makes sense. This is the age right now of Overwatch, mm-hmm. Battleborn, bring back Quake. We're going to see an Unreal Tournament coming out. I'm sure of it. Like these right now, everybody's trying to cash in on that, you know, and I'm okay with that because Quake is one of those granddaddy games that I miss playing. So I'd like to see what they do with it. I think it'll be interesting. And then the final one that I think we want to talk about a little bit, or at least on my radar. Legends. Sorry. I thought that's what you were going to say. I was going to say, I'll let you talk about about Legends in a minute. (laughs) Roger is the excited Elder Scrolls Online woman of that game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he is. But Prey, Prey actually looks very interesting. It's not the canceled Prey 2, which is kind of a, a important distinction to make. But People are pissed off about that. Uh, yeah, but I hope they're not pissed off after this because, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah don't, don't be upset for what you don't have. Be happy for what you do. 
Yeah, so it's the re- Bethesda is completely reimagining the IP, and it's going to be a psychological thriller, uh, apparently starring a female lead. Really? She wasn't female. That dude looked very male to me. Yeah, that was they, that that was for the demo purposes, but he apparently is not necessarily the playable character. Oh, okay. So, and I thought that was really, I don't know if anybody, like a lot of people picked up on that when they were talking about it, but they were just talking about that sequence is story. That's background. That's telling you what happened, at least somewhat what happened. And I think it's really, really cool. I did not hear at all that this was not the lead character. I was, I thought that, that it was him. It was an offhanded comment that they they talked about a female lead when they were on stage. Because they did say that you're one of the few humans still alive in the space station that's been taken over by aliens. But they didn't say that you would be able to play as any of the other characters that I heard, at least. They didn't. But I think I think that was that we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I have a feeling that what we saw with the man with the red eye. And I can't remember. He had a name, but I can't remember what the hell the name is. Martin, I think. You Martin. or something? Martin, Some, you something Lou. Yeah. 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 The sequence we see with him might be how everything just started with the space station. Okay. Now, you've used different terminology there. You're, you're saying they said, and then you're saying, I think. Did they actually say that? They actually used the term female lead, but they didn't go into anything else. It was an offhanded comment. Okay. It was just something that I noticed them say. Not necessarily something they dove into. Okay, which is why I'm why I'm kind of speculating a little bit here, but yeah. So that that's I think they're going to try to throw a curveball later, and I think that's their way of getting around. Yeah, this got leaked. Fuck you. See, we uh, I watched the uh, the developer interview with this as well too, and they were saying how like there's a lot hidden that you don't necessarily see until you've watched it several times or you're specifically mm-hmm. looking for it. So there's clues everywhere of different things that are happening. Like, yeah, he shows his eye over and over again, but it's not until later on that you see that, that what do they call it? A, a psychoscope or whatever that you stick in yeah. your eye, which is, which is central to the story of the game. Yeah. So yeah, there's different things. And then the cup that is, was not there in the previous two mornings, but the dev said too, it might've, not have been a cup before it started spinning. It could have been something else. So there was all kinds of little things like that where you can see how it's really fucking with your brain. So, yeah. And do you want to talk about Legends, Roger? Well, there's not much to say. I mean, they they basically did some more talking about the the lanes and the different things. One of the things that they finally talked a little bit more about was the, the, the campaign that you do kind of thing, which there's a campaign and you go through it and there's a storyline throughout the campaign as you progress through each of the the quote unquote battles and you essentially recruit other people and get the decks for those factions as well kind of thing it's very very freaking cool very very freaking cool i wouldn't put it on hex level um in terms of pve like mm-hmm. the what they release because that's off the charts ridiculous, but it as a a questing campaign mechanic for a digital card game, it's solid. It's solid and fun, and the unlockables at different times, different things, whether it's a title or whether it's a different deck or uh, upgrading cards, which is very very cool as well. You get to make choices on the whether you're going positive or negative with different 
quest lines that then result in a card being changed or boosted, which is a really cool mechanic that allows your deck to change then. It's very, very cool. And that's pretty much all I have for Bethesda. It was a, I don't want to say a shorter sort of dev thing, but... I mean, what we got was pretty substantial. So There was also not... the, the Bethesda VR stuff, too, that they're working on, where you're going to be able to <laughs> yeah, do Doom and F, uh, Final, uh, Fallout 4 in, in VR on the Vive in, in 2017. That's pretty huge. That's, like, pretty freaking huge. So It's huge, but I, I don't know if I like it for Doom because it's so fast-paced. Yeah, Doom is, Doom is going to be super disorienting in VR. Maybe. Like, Fallout 4? Absolutely. Fallout- yeah, Fallout 4, I could see it working because you can play slower with it. You don't have to play fast and loose. But Doom is fast and loose. Like, that game is about speed. The new game, like, if you slow down, you die. I cannot see that going well in VR. But they're doing the very same thing with PSVR with that mech one that, damn it, rigs. That is a team-based shooter, except you're in a mech, and it is insanely fast speed. So there's no reason they can't do the but very same thing But you have a limited field of view as far as, like, your cockpit goes. Like, it's what you're looking at in that is a little bit different than what you're looking at in Doom. Yeah, but the like, field of vision thing, you got to accept that it's going to be less in any VR game. So they can mask it so that it looks within a, ma- a helmet or just you accept that, yeah, well, it's cut off because whatever. And it actually works in the Doom universe because Doom tends to be a very dark game as well. So the fact that it fades out right at the spot where the field of view would be cutting off anyway makes perfect sense. Right, but that's that's not the point that I think Vince and I are trying to make, though. Like, in the mech game, when you turn your mech, it takes a couple seconds. Like, it takes time. There's a visible lag for it. And I'm pretty sure that's there specifically so that people don't get uh, motion sick. With Doom, you're whipping around and you're whipping your head back and forth at that point because things are coming at you from mm-hmm. all angles constantly. And that's where the problem, I think, is going to rely, rely on. I'm not saying that they can't do it. I'm saying that the user experience is going to be hindered by the fact that you're going to have to constantly be whipping your head from side to side, up and down, all around. Like the sequences that are not combat, I think, will be fine. Puzzle solving, jumping around, exploring the areas will be absolutely fantastic when it comes to VR. And I think those are great experiences. But I think combat, especially in the arena zones that pop up at key moments in that game where you're facing multiple waves at multiple levels of enemies in one corridor. Like these are huge, massive arenas with like four or five stories of floors that you need to fight on. That's where I think it's going to people are going to get like sick or they're not going to be able to compensate. It's either that or they're going to have to change the game enough where it's slow enough where people aren't just whipping their heads around. And I think that's where the problem is, because I know I've I've actually shot my mouse off my desk playing Doom. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not saying that to for effect. I've actually done this because I've tried to spin too fast. I'm not going to defend it because I haven't played it and I don't know, but I'm going into it with a more positive outlook in what can be done simply because of the other similar type games that we are seeing in VR that it that they are making it work. So even if it's not as breakneck speed in terms of your motion for turning around and all that, I think it still could be made to work. But again, that's just my opinion. So if that's going to be it for Bethesda, let's jump to Square Enix. Vince, go ahead. All right. So when I first looked at the schedule for E3, I saw Square Enix had a conference and I assumed it was going to be like last year where they had a standard conference. 
I was slightly mistaken. <laughs> the Thursday before E3, Square Enix had a special event specifically showing off Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which, great, because that game's coming out soon, and holy shit, it looks ridiculous. Give me. Uh, I mean, just from a pure gameplay perspective, they have really given you a lot more options between not just lethal or non-lethal, but stealth or very active. Like I said, one of the things they really wanted to do was in uh, Human Revolution... If you wanted to play a non-lethal playthrough, you were basically required to play stealthily. But they've given Adam a lot of different options for how you can be a very aggressive non-lethal character. And there, there's a, now a lot of gradients in the playstyle just between lethal or non-lethal now. So the, the game has a wealth of different options for how to overcome any obstacle that's typical for deus ex of you know not just but now it's not just geographically like how are you going to navigate the level but you now have many many options for how to deal with uh, the opposition you're going to face along the way so it looks way more fun it was gorgeous they talked about it during the pc gamer um, mm-hmm. presser as well and like that the, they were talking about the first level in dubai and it it looks amazing just amazing and how the jensen's more comfortable right now with his enhancements mm-hmm. and everything else and it's a much darker world it again everything about it looked incredible well and not only that that dubai level really shows off how the game is going to adapt to your play style like there's sub objectives you know if you're noticed then you know your support might be uh, taken out because they're the enemies are on higher alert but not only that There's a time factor, specifically in that Dubai mission, there's a sandstorm coming. So if you take your time and really prowl around the place and do all the optional objectives, once you get to that helicopter, you can't see shit because there's a sandstorm. Whereas if you go gung-ho and haul ass through the mission, then you're not going to have that disadvantage. Or maybe it's an advantage depending on how your character is built. So there's a lot going on in the actual mission structures of this game that I love. Yeah. Beyond that, they showed off their new breach mode, which came out of nowhere. It's essentially a, a I think it's a, a sub game. Like it's not part of the main campaign where you play a hacker and it's the the hacking mini game that we see throughout Deus Ex, but done in a full VR environment. And that's VR for the game, not actual VR goggles, although I would assume that's coming. <laughs> I would um, hope so for that, yeah. <laughs> so it's instead of just pressing a button and waiting for a bar to fill up on the node, you are actually sending your virtual avatar into that node and circumventing the security. Shadow, they, Shadowrun me really loves this. Oh, yeah. This, this is 100% Shadowrun decking, and I love it because it's it has its own story to it where you're getting information on these corporations that are doing shady shit and, you know, you want to bring these things to light. It's so cool and something I did not think we'd see from Deus Ex. Plus, they've also said uh, there's going to be multiplayer leaderboards because, you know, when you're a hacker, your credibility and how good you are is such a, an important thing. So... How well you do. Yeah. Like that's, that is super cool. Like that is so cyberpunky that it's not even funny. And I really like the fact that they're embracing sort of, I I don't want to say the genre, but really they're embracing the world more by doing that. And I I usually hate leaderboards, but here it makes sense. Yeah. And I think that, I think that is so fucking cool. 
And then you can make the missions harder to up your score and up your hacker credibility. Really, really cool stuff. Then the last thing I saw Deus Ex related, and I know, Roger, I think you might have, you, you should have seen this because I know it's a really, you know, one of those things that you, you're really passionate about. Did you see the open bionics? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, dude. That's actually the actual uh, Adam Jensen prosthetic arm. Yeah, I linked that it in our Discord. Designed as open source. Yeah. So you can 3D print your own fully, like, and this isn't just like an arm, it's fully functional. The guy that they had showing this off. <laughs> had complete control of his fingers. He could make, yes. you know, signs and oh my god, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I had been studying some different things like that too beforehand and so I had seen how they were working off of the the nerves in your your like around your shoulder and whatnot in order to be able to to move your fingers and to to even feel pressure on the artificial mm-hmm. finger as if it was your own. And so that's all, it was all believable, which I'm glad I'd seen that because otherwise I'd be going bullshit. They're not at that stage yet because they're, they're still giving away like these freaking hooks to people to get used to mm-hmm. prosthetic arms. There's no way in hell well, this is real. And it is, it was awesome. Like they yeah, showed this guy at E3, you know, shaking hands, drinking mm-hmm. out of glasses. Yeah. Like it, it works. Yeah. Well, this is, this is also in conjunction with, uh, and I think I, I read about this somewhere there's an organization that actually is working to bring down 3D printed prosthetic costs to a stupidly affordable level for people mm-hmm. like this. And this is where they kind of got the idea from. They're like, we can actually do this. We could work with them and, and kind of get this going and actually do this. And so to see that come to life, that was fucking amazing. Yeah. And it's like, I don't care about like the aesthetics of it from a biomedical standpoint. <laughs> We're getting real life gaming, man. Real life. I think it was in like if you dig through uh, the big Square Enix live presentations they did for all three days, I think it was day two might have been day three. Like there's an entire half hour where they're just interviewing like the guy that designed this. Like when he was in college, like his, you know, senior project was designing a prosthetic hand. I mean, the thing was bulky and weird, but I mean, this is what he's dedicated his life to. And he's like, and we want to make this affordable. We want when, when this is fully developed and you know, it's working, they're going to release the schematics online for free for anybody to make their own. If they have the capabilities of doing so. Well, that's again, going back to what Joe is saying that they do that right now with other prosthetics and Mm -hmm. they do it for like even really intricate prosthetics that are put out like fancy ones just to try to encourage people to do it and what they've done as well is anybody who has a 3d printer you can say okay i will um, i'd like to donate so i'll Mm -hmm. make one they'll tell you the sizes who it's for and then you're essentially helping somebody who can't afford it to do it themselves by making them an arm like it's it's spectacular it's in terms of like when you've had a bad day on the internet and seeing the worst of humanity, seeing people make prosthetics for kids and adults, my, but those kids, it's like there's hope for humanity after all. My my local library system here in Buffalo actually does that. They have a 3D print lab in the main branch library, which is this huge old style like 1800s building. This thing is fucking massive. And they do this for when they don't have anything scheduled up. They'll make 3D prints of prosthetics for kids and donate them to, like, the Roswell Cancer Institute and things like that around the local area and ship them elsewhere in order to, like, 
kind of just uh, just help. And that is fucking amazing. Yep. So moving aside from their special uh, Deus Ex presentation, they ran their uh, Square Enix Presents live, non not nonstop, but during, when the show floor was open. So I had 20 hours of video footage to go through. <laughs> so to give you guys the highlights, of course, Square Enix Final Fantasy is what they're really making a big deal of. Uh, that Final was, Fantasy that 15, was 19 of hours right there. <laughs> uh, we we saw Final Fantasy 15 at the Microsoft conference with the Trial of Titan, which looked like shit. Well, it looked gorgeous. The music was fantastic. It looked boring as hell, though. Like, That's the one where was, they were given the, the, the creature a manicure? Yes. Yeah. So seeing it played through again by people who actually know how to play the game, I realized that the stage presentation was by somebody who was just fucking up on stage. <laughs> like This is why you don't do live gameplay at your conferences. Uh, outside of the Titan fight, seeing somebody who's really familiar with the game and the combat system, it does look like a lot of fun. Still, that Titan fight is pretty crappy because basically all you're doing is dodging the hand for five minutes and then you kill it with QTE. So... Every time I see this game, it's either really cool or really awful. And it's like we were talking about, God, what game were we just talking about? Scalebound. Which one is the real game? Because it, I, I'm, I can't get hyped for this because Definitely every time not. I see something cool, it's balanced out by something that looks really boring and uninteresting. Uh, we got more stuff for the Kingsglaive movie that's coming out. Still looks really cool. As well as they said, there's a prequel that's being released, unfortunately, as a retailer pre-order exclusive. But it's called A King's Tale, where you play through as uh, King Regis, the father of the main character from Final Fantasy XV. And it's a side-scrolling 16-bit retro-style brawler. <laughs> Actually looks pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Beyond that, they talked about the Final Fantasy Brave XVS game, which is coming to smartphones. And it's more of a full, like, retro-style RPG where the combat is based on what we've seen from uh, Final Fantasy Record Keeper, the current mobile game that they have out where you can fill your party up with classic Final Fantasy heroes and villains. It looks fun, but I'm probably going to pass on it. We actually got a lot as well for Final Fantasy XIV. They did their letter for, from the producer, which is something they do, you know, regularly throughout the year they did it live at e3 talked an awful lot about uh the housing which right now is an absolute clusterfuck um they're gonna finally be bringing in apartments so that everybody can have housing so they're not going to dedicate the server space for everybody to have the big you know mansions that you can have so they're not doing as good as wildstar but at least everybody's going to have the ability to have their own personal space without spending millions upon millions of gil in the disaster of a market that they have now that's going to uh, piss off a lot of people who've spent millions to get it yes well i mean if you spent it you're still going to have like your really cool literal mansion <laughs> so i mean you're still getting your money's worth your in-game money's worth uh fan festivals coming up but they also talked about their next dungeon that's coming out and joe this is something that's going to be especially interesting to you it's called the deep dungeon and it's an yes. mmo roguelike dungeon where you're going to have two separate save slots. So you can have, you know, one for your playing with your friends and one for your playing by yourself. And the entire dungeon is a roguelike. It's randomly generated floors, randomly generated enemies, you name it. You're going to start off on floor one at level one. So you're going to be a, just like a level one character, but your gear is going to be independent of what you're wearing. There's special weapons and armor exclusive to this dungeon. So, 
you're going to be leveling up super quickly. Like they showed a couple fights and you're already level five. So it's, you're not going to be leveling up at the same speed you would through the entire game, but you're starting as a brand new character in a brand new dungeon and having to work your way through all these floors with a shared inventory stuff. You get out of treasure chests. It's one inventory shared between the party and it's not even a standard MMO party. You can go in there with whatever four characters you want and be successful. You don't need a tank. You don't need a healer. There's different ways to solve every puzzle, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, some of the items you get will actually turn you into really powerful monsters, but at the same time, it's a roguelike, so there's just as many traps as there are treasures. <laughs> uh, I showed one turned a player into a frog, <laughs> so you had to hop around the dungeon. Uh, some floors are going to have special challenges, like you can't sprint, you can't use items on this floor, so it's a full roguelike experience in an MMO, which I have never seen before, and it looks cool as shit. That's very interesting. That's like uh, really interesting. They said uh, when patch 3.35 comes out, I think next month, it's going to have the first 50 floors. And every 10 floors, you fight a boss and you can save your progress. So you don't have to go through all 50 floors at once. Uh, they said each group of 10 floors is going to be approximately the length of one normal dungeon. So it's not going to be a huge time investment as well. And they have plans throughout the lifespan of Heaven's Word to go up to floor 200. So this is a really cool way of doing endgame progression that's not just a loot grind. Because loot is literally meaningless in here. It's just gameplay. I love that. That's awesome. And also not coordinating, you know, a full raid group and, you know, okay, we need a tank, we need a healer. Just grab three buddies and go. We also got a little bit more of uh, Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. They announced a an HD remaster of that game. Uh, I don't know, because when Final Fantasy XII came out, I was very uninterested with it. I, I played it. I beat it. I don't remember having a lot of fun with it. I don't know if maybe I'm going to give it a second chance or not. Uh, as well as World of Final Fantasy, the really weird uh, you know, love letter to Final Fantasy past where you can stack characters on top of each other. It, it's goofy. It's weird. But it's also probably going to be pretty fun. Notably absent, though, no news on the Final Fantasy VII remake that made such a big splash last hmm. year, which that's weird. Like, no mention. Well, it was mentioned in as far as, hey, we're doing some Final Fantasy stuff, including the remake, but that was it. No footage, no interviews, no nothing. Also notably absent, Kingdom Hearts III. Uh, we saw a very little bit of gameplay footage, but it was all in uh, reference to when they were talking about their Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8. We've talked about this before, and it makes my brain hurt. If you like Kingdom Hearts, there's stuff coming. <laughs> Continuing with the RPG front, they showed off Dragon Quest Builders, which actually looked really fun. Uh, it's you know a full town-building Minecraft-type thing with uh, gameplay thrown in where they showed a boss fight where this golem is summoned, and... If you're not fighting the golem well enough, he's actually going to throw rocks and destroy, destroy the city that you just built. Ooh. So there, there's definitely a relationship between the RPG combat and the base building elements. Like you have to build walls to defend the city. It actually did look really, really fun. I, I, I was surprised by how interesting this looked. It looked fun the first time we saw it. Like, I, yeah. I thought it looked great then. So, yeah, it, it looked awesome. like a cool concept. But actually seeing it in action yeah. made it even even that much more interesting. Awesome. Uh, we got more stuff for Star Ocean, Integrity, and Faithlessness, which is out very soon, so they didn't show off too much. I mean, pretty much anything we're going to see is already out there. But uh, they spent a lot of time talking about the actual voice acting and all that for the American release. Uh, Near Automata got a lot uh, of time. 
And God, this looks so great. And the fucking director is still wearing that creepy ass mask. He gave the entire like 30 minutes studio segment wearing the mask. He had a microphone inside the mask so he could talk. He was taking sips of soda in a straw. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Uh, The game, as I said many times, is still pretty early on in its development cycle. Uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of feature complete, but a lot of stuff like you could tell they, they have to do more passes on the graphics as far as like textures and lighting are concerned. But it as far as a proof of concept, bringing in platinum to do the combat here was genius because this is full like triple A platinum level combat, it's like Bayonetta, Metal Gear Rising. Holy crap. You have, as I said, you can equip two weapons at a time and seamlessly switch between them in combat. Like you, des- you designate a button's, like you can basically create your own combos, if you will, by designating certain attacks and certain buttons on the controllers specifically to certain weapons. And then you can also equip a completely second set of weapons. So you can have real-time fluid access to four different weapons, and they showed off the combat was so smooth, so fluid, so action-oriented. It looked amazing. I cannot as well look as, at anything about that game because of the ridiculousness of the female, most of the female costumes. Like there was one screenshot where the woman is literally in like stockings and a garter and panties and a corset. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, what the hell? It's okay. She's a robot. Yo, that, that makes it all right. <laughs> as well as Joe, did, there's a uh, fantasy star online style little robot that follows you around. Yes, I did see that. There's uh, the... I love that. The pod, as they call it, which uh, doubles as your ranged attack. Like it has a machine gun that you can lock on and fire with. And as well as actually serving uh, exploration where you can grab onto it and use it to hover. And they said you're going to be able to upgrade your pod as well as your character for all kinds of new possibilities. Looks as far as gameplay is concerned, the game looks fun as crap. Uh, we're, there's still a, a lot to be seen as far as the world and whatnot, but it's it's definitely moving in a very interesting direction. The last RPG they showed off, and actually the one that interested me the most, was their I Am Setsuna, which literally comes out in like two weeks. Uh, it's going to be out on PS4 and Steam very soon. This is their retro... Super Nintendo PlayStation 1 era RPG of taking everything they've learned about game development and taking it back to this more simplistic style. And oh my God, this this is my game. Like it just touches on so many things that I love. It's nostalgia done right. It's not just using these elements that we recognize from the past to, to earn a quick buck. It's taking these elements that worked at the time and proves that they can still work in the frame of a completely different stories, completely different characters, completely different worlds. The trailer is just amazing. It's again, it's a retro art style. So you're not getting like this incredibly expressive, uh, you know, facial animations and stuff that we've come to expect, but it still works in its own way with the music, the graphical design, the st- <laughs> This chick's going to die and it's going to just gut me because <laughs> it's such a depressing game. But the uh, the combat is also looking very solid. It definitely uh, reminiscent of Chrono Trigger uh, with uh, each character having their own you know, ATB gauge, which we've come to expect from any number of square games, as well as a special gauge that fills up through combat that you can use to enhance your attacks, enhance your magic. So simple, but also very tactical and gratifying the more time you spend with it. But as far as 
a major AAA company bringing in a studio in 2016 to do a retro style game. It shows that Square might not make the games that we love anymore, but they'll bring in people that'll do it for yeah. it. <laughs> but I, I am absolutely in love with this game. Cool. Uh, outside of RPGs, what did they show off? We already talked about Deus Ex. Uh, they spent a lot of time with Agents of Mayhem, their Saints Row spinoff. Oh my god, that game is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that game oh, looks amazing. God, that game is awesome. Dude, I am sold on it already. Ludicrous and over the top. It's, it's everything we've come to expect from Saints Row without being an actual Saints Row game. So it's not going to have that Saints Row open world, you know, GTA slash RPG style. It looks to be very much more a uh, a shooter gameplay with wacky characters and just it's it's its own unique thing within the Saints Row universe, and I absolutely love it. it every time I saw more, because I watched the developer commentary as well uh, or interview, I should say. Every time I, I I heard more about it, it just sounded better and better. It just is looks like it's a ton of fun i love the humor in it and the art style is slick as hell mm-hmm. yeah it, it looks so great in motion yeah uh we've seen previously they, they spent a little bit of time talking about the turing test the like portal-esque yep. uh, puzzle game that we've seen but they also showed off one i hadn't seen before called black the fall which is like this kind of like a corporate dystopia type thing where you know you're you're on the run from your corporate overlords, but it's a 2D puzzle action game. Like it's it's pretty much Odd World or Prince of Persia in its gameplay, where you know it's not so much defeating the enemies as finding creative ways to remove them from your path. Like it's very reminiscent. If you played Odd World or the old school Prince of Persia games, or you know something like Blackthorn from uh, Blizzard, it's that, and it actually looks really fun and really interesting for a game I hadn't seen at all before E3. Yeah. It's also really interesting, too, because at least the, the trailer and the things that they showed for it, there's not a whole lot of, like, it doesn't look like there's character audio so much mm-hmm. as there is just, like, atmospheric audio, which is a very interesting throwback to the, the, the old classics, like you just mentioned. I really dig that. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they showed off so much more. Uh, talked a little bit about Tomb Raider, some stuff about Hitman. I mean... Again, 20 hours worth of stuff to go through. Uh, they they actually had an awful lot to show off this E3 without doing their own uh, full conference like they did last year, which I, I think really works because they have so many games to talk about. They wouldn't have been able to give any one of them the time they needed in you know an hour or so. So uh, just doing their own thing and showing them off over the course of the three days really gave each game its chance to shine. And uh, a lot of them really delivered. Okay, let's move on to the PC gaming one. And that was a couple of hours. There were a number of games there that were interesting. I'm just going to touch on a couple and then we can move on from there. Uh, and same with you guys if there's anything that you want to discuss from this one. They talked about a couple of new games, one being The Surge, which is yet another post-apocalyptic game. But this one was gorgeous. You got cyber, cyborgs and robots and mechs and stuff. It looks fairly... Cyber fairly, cyborgs. What did I say? You said cyber cyborgs. No, I was trying to say cyborgs, but I screwed I it know, up the first time. I like time. cyber cyborgs. It, it has a new a nice ring to it. It certainly does. Yeah. Uh, they brought out uh, Blazinski to talk about Lawbreakers, yet another team-based shooter. 
I like how he, because they said, <laughs> they were saying, like, with Overwatch right now and doing so well and that kind of thing, what's going to make this better? And he's like, Overwatch is more anime. We're more westernized. <laughs> There's more blood and stuff. And I'm going, okay, that wasn't insulting at all. <laughs> yeah. But the gameplay does look awesome. And you got the freaking swords and guns and laser weapons and all kinds of stuff. So it looks cool. The odds are. And grappling hooks. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not going to play it because, again, there's no way yeah. you can touch Overwatch at this point. We got a little tiny little bit about Vampire uh, or Vampire, whoever, however we're supposed to be pronouncing this. Vampire. But not much. I mean, just basically this weird trailer and that was it. I was hoping that we'd see more. Unless you guys found anything else anywhere else at any time. I didn't I, actually. I saw some more gameplay footage, which I it's just such a vast difference from what we've seen from don't not in the past yeah. it's it's still a little hard to wrap my head around because the gameplay footage that i saw was really not that interesting and mm-hmm. i like i was talking to my son about it and i was saying like yeah this is not doing it justice based on what we've read about what the story will be in different things it's pretty generic so i will say it? though that the visual quality of what i saw from the gameplay uh the gameplay show clay yeah, I can't talk today. The game gameplay showcases was very, very cool. Uh, the atmospheric shifts, even in just the lighting uh, when they were moving through the environments, was I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, like you said, there just wasn't a whole lot here, which makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. we uh, got a little bit of Killing Floor Two and how there's going to be some Oculus integration, which is pretty freaking cool they did talk as well about super hot in oculus which again that's something that is going to be incredible um just because of again that each time you move now literally move not just move the joystick your character is going to move and the bullets are coming towards you faster so it's going to be pretty cool to to play (laughs) there's a vr game where we're standing completely still Still. suddenly important (laughs) uh tyranny looked awesome for people who like those old style obsidian games it uh it it has some upgrades to it certainly from from what they they've done in the past but it's that type of gameplay it looked very cool looked very interesting the one of course that got me was observer this is the mm-hmm. second now the from the layers of fear devs and like you're hacking into people's brains and seeing their oh. fears and using that against them and stuff it holy crap and hell did this look awesome and people know what i think of layers of fear so this you is had like, me at cyberpunk horror game oh this is <laughs> i'm there like this is gonna be I, freaking yeah, this awesome. one is so unique oh my goodness yeah so that's gonna be freaking cool as shit what else did they talk about here that was cool they did talk about the turn test a little bit more although once again the longer the more i've seen of this the less impressed i actually am because there's not enough story to go mm-hmm. to to pull you along as you're playing whereas like portal had this thread that you kept pulling at and it just kept following you so i i don't know we'll see but yet another post-apocalyptic game this one is a road trip overland it kind of a, a artsy blocky style it was cool it looked interesting i don't know if i'll play it but it did look cool <laughs> the the difference between the game they described and then the game they showed, showed was yeah. hilarious yeah yeah I, I noticed that too it's it's the equivalent of ubisoft's intro for south park which we'll get to later yeah dual universe look cool it was kind of like a blend of No Man's Sky and Minecraft, that freedom mm-hmm. of flying all over the place with being able to build 
a settlement, a town, your own ship, everything. So that was kind of cool. And the fact that it's going to be one shard for everybody. Again, I keep going back to the idea of it's going to be trolls destroying everything or people building giant penis places. But, I mean, <laughs> if we can get past that, there might Meet be some really cool game. Station 4. Yeah. Um, what else did we have? Days of Infamy looked interesting. Not necessarily something that I'm going to play, but look cool. Mirage Arcane Warfare was interesting. Again, I don't know if I'll play, but it certainly looked interesting. Same as uh, Mages of Mistralia, where you make your own, craft your own spells and things like that. It was cute, and uh, and it had different things going for it that I, I thought was interesting because we haven't seen it quite done like that before. So that's uh, you're looking at 2017, so still a long time for that. And then from there, they did talk about Deus Ex as well, but we've already covered that. So that was pretty much the main ones that I noticed. I don't know if there were any that you guys wanted to cover. No. Pretty sure Joe's with me on this one. Dawn of War 3. Yeah. Well, yes. That was right at the start. Oh. Because, I mean, I, I liked the first Dawn of War. It was okay. I loved Dawn of War 2. Like, See, I, I really loved it. the more squad-focused gameplay there. So, I mean, but of course, it's... Mech Warrior, or not Mech Warrior, Jesus, Warhammer. So having those big, large-scale battles is very important to the IP. So seeing uh, if they're going to be able to pull off what they say of having the large-scale stuff while still being more focused on your heroes and your your smaller squads, I am really excited to see if they can pull it off, because if they can, I'm going to be super into this game. I, I don't even care if they pull it off. The fact that I saw an Imperial Knights like goring uh, Eldar Wraith Lord, and I'm just like, yes, this is good. Yes, yes, yes. I I'm a sucker for Warhammer. I will freely admit that. I really, really am. And the, everything I've seen for this so far has done nothing but stoke the fires of I'm buying this game. I'm playing this game. I don't care if they succeed. I loved Dawn of War. One, I love Dawn of War 2 for different reasons. I don't care if they blend them seamlessly. There's going to be mm-hmm. something in this game I love. Okay, let's move on to Ubisoft, which started in typical Ubisoft fashion. <laughs> they went full Ubisoft. Oh, yeah. there was there was. I was worried that maybe Karen had slipped <laughs> some LSD into my coffee before I started watching this. Joe, go ahead. From, from what I understand, this is kind of a normal day in the office for them. <laughs> and, and that, that giraffe actually works there. That's not a costume. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened, but I'm going to start with some stuff that I think Roger was very excited about. And I'm going to start with one of my big fan favorites here, as far as I'm concerned, which was LeVar Burton coming out and helping to announce the Star Trek Bridge Crew VR game. Out of freaking left field. Out like, of freaking left field. I Andrew heard Ryan. nothing about this. Yeah, Listen, we, Carl Urban was there, too. <laughs> Carl Urban is nothing as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Star Trek. Just saying. Jerry Ryan and LeVar there. Burton. He, he, he was, was there. Hey, he was present. That was McCoy. Come on. Show some respect. Okay, fine. okay I, I, will, <laughs> I will show respect for the medical officer that did nothing during the demo. He said it was cool. Shut up, dude. You pissing <laughs> on my freaking bridge cruise game? How dare you? <laughs> no, I actually really love the concept. So there's a game that I play with my friends called Artemis, which is very similar uh, to this, but it's not in VR, and it's very low-res, and it's very like, radar It's like cool that, as yeah. hell. Yeah, It's cool as hell, and it's a great multiplayer game. This trumps that. And the fact that you could be sitting there in VR with your friends being actual crew of a fucking starship 
going through in the Star Trek universe, this is this is the game that we've been waiting for. I want it. And I know Roger was justified. Oh, saying. my God. This is freaking the only, only thing, the negative thing that I have to say about it is the visual quality. Because it looks cool, but it's... I would have liked to have seen something that yeah. looks far, I'm gonna have far to hazard, I'm going to have to hazard that this is this was early and that they made a decision to release it, like announce it before like the visuals are on par, but the systems are in place. Maybe. If I had Here's hope. Guess. I mean, they're already talking about, did you watch the developer interview as well? No, I missed that. So they're already talking and hinting about how they want this to have legs. There's going to be... Um, procedurally generated quests that you can do missions mm-hmm. that you can do every day if you want. They want people, a reason for people to keep going back into it. And they're already talking about how they'll be adding different things into it to the point of hinting uh, other ships as well. So there'll be other bridges that you can choose from which ship that you would like to be on. So there's a lot of things with this that they may keep progressing so that you do have a lot better options moving forward, kind of not necessarily leveling up, but you know what I mean. So that'd be kind of cool as well. Yeah, yeah I'm I, really excited about that. I, I I thought it was awesome. the The fact that you can play as you know either the the captain or tactical or ensign or engineering means that you can also have a lot of fun not always doing the same thing. You don't always have to be the captain. I mean, that's if you're playing solo, but if you're playing with your friends, hey, this time I'd actually like to see just how exciting being an ensign might be. And so you have those different elements that you can play with when you're playing online with other people. So, yeah, that was freaking awesome. Well, I think what's also interesting there is they made each position just meaningful, too. Yes, exactly. and that's what LeVar, LeVar Burton said. He's like, you know, I, I have some authority on this. I can tell you playing an engineer is real fun. Like, <laughs> like stuff like that. Like that, that's encouraging because so often players just want to be the captain. They just want to be the gunner or whatever the case is. But giving each of those positions importance and weight and making them engaging in their own right, not only adds replayability, but it makes it easier for like a group of friends not to freaking argue over who gets exactly what yep yeah i agree the best part about this that makes this completely different from anything else we've seen at e3 is they didn't just bring in a celebrity to pretend like he cared about the game you could tell oh, lavar yeah. burton was 100 sincere that this was cool as shit and that alone sold it yeah and joe and i were talking about it too and what i'm hoping much like a lot of the other ones where i've said is this is going to open up the eyes of other people so that we do wind up getting, you know, a Millennium Falcon thing game where <laughs> you can live in that ship with Chewie. Just, just say it, Roger. We know where you're going. It's Firefly. It's going to happen someday. <laughs> someday somebody's going to design a game where it's you're in Firefly. And- Imagine how terrible a Firefly bridge game would be. Everything's fucking broken and then you get stabbed. Yeah, you just don't play as Wash. (laughs) (laughs) But I would live my entire life (laughs) would be in that game, in that ship. So somebody make it happen. (laughs) Now, I just want to say that the announcement of this new IP also made my prediction true. Ding! So, yeah. Now, what do you guys think of the Eagle VR multiplayer? Was it Eagle Flight? Yeah, that's the one I was talking about earlier. That's 
spectacular use of VR and very imaginative as well in trying to design a flag capture the flag game with eagles and doing it so that you're capturing bunnies. Brilliant. Using sonic waves to shoot them down. Brilliant. I adored this. I really like the fact that it's an eight-player competitive multiplayer VR game. And while eight or part six, of the fun of for- I think it was six. It was three on three, was it not? No, it was three on three for the demo. It is, in fact, oh, okay. an eight-player game. They said that. Okay, awesome. So what's really cool about this, at least for me, was watching the people, like, crane their heads around and almost run into each other while they were playing. <laughs> I, I want the footage of just the Stevie Wonder <laughs> gameplay without the, the actual game visuals. But I think that speaks to the quality of this game, though, because how into it they were getting. Like, they were, like, leaning in and, and moving around and, like, actually, like, really getting into it. But the gameplay was clever. It was very, I mean, visually, it's it's still developing as far as what it is like the systems are in place but they even said they're working on fleshing out um some more of the competitive play as well as the visual appeal so they are still working on that but what i see here like this is really cool this is what vr multiplayer should be like like putting you in a completely different experience that you can't experience as a human being and going forth from there now from there we have south park the fractured butthole which, Vince, would you like to go on about that? Well, first of all, I just love the way they introed the game because it was basically Ubisoft making fun of themselves for their stupid, grim, dark, everything's terrible, you know, division watchdog style intros and then have, you know, Cartman be the fucking reveal. That was that was so <laughs> brilliant. I, the game itself, like Stick of Truth was absurd and yes, offensive, but that's kind of their shtick. But it, it was... It was fun. It was unique. And this just seems to be that much more and completely ludicrously over the top, which, you know, it's something we need. And not everything can be super serious. The fact that loved, it's a... I loved their little movie Civil War. Exactly. Yes. It was fucking hilarious. That That's what sells it for me, because otherwise I wouldn't play this. But the fact that they're all pretending to be superheroes and working out the different phases and where different stuff fits in and whether you're getting a film or a Netflix series and all that, that's enough there that they've, they've got me sold on that. Yeah. Not only is it, did it sell it on me? I'm actually going to be buying this for Renee because she loves South Park and she loves superheroes. And I think that she'll get a kick out of it. No kidding. I will pre-order it for her specifically. So she can play it first and I'm just going to watch her reactions before I ever play this game. And, and lost in all that uh, with stick of truth is that it actually had fantastically great RPG combat. Yes. Like the game itself was super solid beneath all the ludicrousness. Ludicrosity, whatever. Ludicrosity. And we're going we're gonna to claim that as a word. You heard it here first, folks. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too, because, I mean, it, again, like you said, the gameplay was solid on Stick of Truth. I'm going to guess that the systems here are going to be solid as well. Now, speaking of ridiculousness, I'm going to go with the tag team champion entry oh my. style of <laughs> Red Lakes. Because it took every bit of self-control I have not to already download this game. <laughs> they came out in Zuba sweat outfits like old school like weird red white and blue zuba outfits for trials of the blood dragon which is the hybrid baby of trials evolution which is the like little trials racing style type game with stunts and stuff like that and far cry 3 blood dragon it looks hysterical 
and their their entire enthusiasm about it, like the ridiculousness of it, was fantastic. Like there is nothing about this that didn't, that didn't tell me that I should be playing this game at some point in my life. Because like, I love trials games. Like there's, it's it's such a, I think it's a niche thing because it's like a hardcore physics based platforming motorcycle game that when you combine it with something as stupid as blood dragon and crank it up to 11 it works like i haven't i I have yet to play it myself but i've seen some gameplay footage it is ridiculous and great now from there i'm going to move to something that is ridiculous for a different reason uh which is going to be ghost recon wildlands the game itself looks absolutely gorgeous and it's something that i've been waiting for because i love Tom Clancy games, I really, really do, and I loved Ghost Recon back in the day, and it's been a while since we've had a solid one, and this looks like it's going to be solid. The ridiculousness was, what the fuck was with that whole rehearse stage demo with the players? They do that every year. That's I hate Ubisoft. it. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, but I hate it. we don't have to look any further than failed ones where they try to make it unscripted, so they have to make it scripted. Yeah, I. You know what though? It just it felt so hokey, and. I guess here I will say they did a good job, quote unquote, because everybody was like, is this game audio or is this people like talking? Is this game? What, what's going on here? That aside, the gameplay looked solid. I liked everything I saw from it. I liked the environments. I liked the the tactical application of it. And I liked the fact that their multiplayer, which is what was going on, was immersive and not or engaging, I guess is the right word, for each individual involved. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, we're a squad and we're all moving together and we're all just sniping. No, one person was getting the, the target out of there. One person was setting traps. One was doing a diversion. One was running behind the pursuit. It was very well done, and this looks like a game that I really want to play. Yeah. If you're playing with a couple of buddies, then you can have a ton oh, of fun. Oh, yes, with friends. Yeah. No randoms in this yeah. one. No, hell no. This is a friend game. Like, I don't, I don't know everybody makers. <laughs> Maybe you do. You don't know that. You can't tell me how to play my game. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right, the next one uh, I'll go through is For Honor, which looked really, really good, but very... Roger and I, I think, had some of the same concern. A lot of the sequences looked like the AI was kind of doing the classic movie villain, I'm going to attack you one at a time thing, which is boring very quickly in a game when you do that, especially when you have a giant Norse warrior with this huge halberd style axe that is just, you know, right for just just destroying everybody around him and he's fighting one at a time. Gameplay looks solid. Otherwise, I'm just hoping that they were showcasing as an easy mode as opposed to, you know, if that's the regular gameplay, that really kind of. That's a game that's all about combat. If the combat is that poorly scripted, then the entire game fails. Oh, everybody uh, I read and saw that got their hands on it on the show floor really loved it. Like it's a Dynasty Warriors game. Is, is what it is, where the grunts are completely inconsequential. They're just there for you to have some fun swinging your giant axe around until you get to one of, you know, the the generals or whatnot, at which point, like, it does become a battle for honor. Like, the subordinates get the fuck out of the way and let the actual true warriors fight it out. So I'm not against it, and having it in that Dynasty Warriors mindset where those games are super successful, and I'm actually a fan of them, that do very similar things, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Now, from there was Grow Up, which is a 
follow up to one of their smaller known games, which is Grow Home, which is a 3D platformer. And it looks like we just saw a little bit of it, but it looks absolutely fantastic. Now, Grow Home was one of those games that flew under a lot of people's radar uh, with the robot protagonist Bud and his adventure of experiencing a homeworld and creating a homeworld. And here it's much the same thing. It's a massive open world game where you can do whatever you want. And I actually think it's kind of cool that Ubisoft puts so much time and effort into making another game for this because it showcases not just technology, but their imagination as well. And then from there, we also had Steep, uh, which was a new IP, which is I thought was really cool. Visually, it's stunning, but it's a game that lets you wingsuit, ski, snowboard, and paraglide over a bunch of different open mountains, as well as sharing all of your exploits, tricks, and everything to uh, what's going to be like a central cloud location where you can see other people's uh, sort of runs and things like that. And I think that's cool because I always liked like SSX Tricky and, and games like that back in back in the day on the PlayStation. And this seems like it's almost like a reimagining of that. And I'm kind of okay with that. It's a really cool concept and it looks great, but ain't nobody going to play this game. You know, I think you'd be surprised. I the, A lot of people on my on my Twitter feed, a lot of people on my Facebook, a lot of people on forums are going crazy because when's the last time we had an SSX tricky style game? Right, but I, I don't think this is quite going to scratch that itch. I think this is trying to be a little more, like, you know, edgy, serious type, whereas SSX was just fun. Like, this is trying to be the Gran Turismo of, you know, downhill racing games is how I see it. Like, it, it, it just It just didn't connect with me. We'll see. We'll see about that one, I think. And then the last one I want to talk about just a little bit is going to be Watch Dogs 2, which, again, is the big one that everybody's been talking about forever. Now, Watch Dogs 1 was an interesting game. It wasn't a great game, but it had some really cool concepts and some nice ideas in it. It just wasn't fully realized. It was plagued by some stodgy systems, some clunky gameplay. But the co- the core concept was really, really cool. It was basically Assassin's Creed Hacker Edition. And I'm okay with that as a game concept. Watchdog 2 takes place in San Francisco, and apparently what Ubisoft did was pay the money to map out actually San Francisco because they actually this is and we talked about this in a previous episode certain landmarks have copyright IPs on them, and you cannot put them in a game unless you are willing to pay a lot of money to do that. In here, uh, yeah, you can actually do like you can see certain things like the Coit Tower is there. The uh, it starts in the demo they showed starts in Embarcadero, which is a known area in San Francisco. And I'm pronouncing it horribly wrong. And I'm sorry for anybody who is on the West Coast that knows what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. But it's cool that they actually spent that money to make one on one one to one recreations of that. And it looks absolutely gorgeous. Now, I know we goofed. We, we talked about. You know, everybody's a parkour expert and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's kind of goofy. But the whole thing about hacking somebody's cell phone from four feet away is also kind of over-exaggerated. So I'm kind of okay with it. But what I'm seeing here with the main character of Marcus, who is a a what they called a blacktivist, as far as most people have been kind of dubbing him. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having a POC as a main playable character. And I think it's really interesting to see how the watchdog story is going to evolve here. Definitely. 
I don't know. There's still a lot about this. This isn't quite connecting with me, especially after the first one, which was a cool concept that was just mired in uninteresting story characters and sadly gameplay. Like the hacking stuff is cool, but the hacking as a mechanic for just becoming another generic cover based shooter, I am still not really crazy about. Well, they even said, and they, they said this specifically through the developer interviews as well as their presentation, they really want to improve upon the good parts of the original, so the concept, and iron out the rougher parts, which is the story delivery and the systems for combat as well as the systems in general. They want to make it more accessible, more fluid. They want to bring it in line with basically the rest of their solid games that they've they've produced up to this point. So I'm willing to give them a chance on this. They also may have dropped a couple hints through some of their interviews about having some Abstergo links in there as well. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out because there were some, there were some hidden in Watch Dogs 1. I'm interested to see what they do within Watch Dogs 2. It's cool and it's definitely something they can do a lot with. I, I, it's just not there yet for me. Okay, let's, let's move on to uh, EA. There's actually not a ton to discuss here because, quite frankly, most of it was sports ball, and we're not going to discuss that here. There was also Titanfall 2, which looks interesting. I enjoyed the first one for the brief period of time that I played it because then it was like, eh, not much keeping me in it. But, again, it sounds like it's it's going to be interesting kind of thing. Same thing with the big Star Wars. You'd think that they would have discussed a lot more, but they really didn't. The biggest news being that Amy Henning... Is, anything. Yeah, Amy Henning's going to be talk, is working on a, a game, and I'll play any game that she plays. I mean, she's responsible for the big hits from uh, Naughty Dog, so I'm curious what she's going to do. Still on 1313, damn it. And then we had, not even acknowledging, uh, a little bit more on Battlefield 1, but we've already talked about that. The, the, the actual, the only game that really was interesting was the Fae game. Like, an, a little indie game pretty much stole their mm-hmm. presser. Looked interesting, great color scheme. That was cool. This year's uh, awkward, nervous Scandinavian game dev. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. And then they talked about Mass Effect Andromeda, though really not all that much. Joe, I'll let you take this. We're going to keep it short, though, because we are kind of running along. Well, what's interesting about Andromeda is it, this is in the After Effects of everything that's happened in the Mass, Mass Effect series, and you're trying to colonize uh, a new planet, basically. You're looking for a new home for humanity. And they didn't really talk too much about that yet, but they did let slip that the main protagonist is actually going to be a female character, uh, not just the femshep bomb that everybody's been arguing for, you know, however many years at this point. Uh, but I thought that was kind of cool that they're just flat out saying, yes, the main character is female. Deal with it. Yep. Yeah. And she's also named after the first woman in space, which I thought was kind of cool. E- equally, mm-hmm. yeah. And we got to see a brief glimpse of the new makeup. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, that I or makeup, know, I should say. That gave me dread in the bit of my stomach. <laughs> get over it. Mako's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll do a good yeah, job. Yeah, Mako from Star Wars is really awesome. I really enjoyed her as a companion. <laughs> her story was phenomenal. Uh, but as a drivable vehicle, no thank you. Like They said that they want to kind of make good on the hurt feelings from the first Mako, so we'll Listen, see. I got really good at driving that brick around because I had to discover every planet in the galaxy. <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. I'm excited for this. Let's move on to just some of the other games that we want to touch on briefly. They did talk about uh, season three for The Walking Dead, which gives me a little bit more faith actually in what's going to be happening. We got a Clementine that's a couple of years older now, be it between 13 and 14, a new character, Javier, that you're going to be playing him as well. Choices that you made in one or two, of course, are going to be affecting three. So what we've seen is kind of cool. And um, and what they're saying is that uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened between the two seasons that they kind of hinted at that you'll play through as, as flashbacks kind of thing, it sounds like. So, again, I've got a lot more faith in this than I had in Michonne. So that's kind of cool. Uh, another one was the Rise of Iron expansion for Destiny. Even though mm-hmm. I'm not currently playing Destiny, that doesn't take away the, from the fact that it's still fantastic. A lot of people playing it. And justifiably, the shit that they're doing with this, where you're going to be becoming an Iron Lord, one of the legendary protectors of humanity, is freaking awesome. Like, the cinematics they showed were spectacular. Very cool stuff. I'm totally going to buy it. Like, yeah. there's no doubt about it. And the fact that they're weaving medieval elements into it makes me very happy as well. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, they also gave us some more information about Mafia 3, which is actually really cool as well. You got a mixed race protagonist, and he's not really a good guy. He's a Vietnam vet, but he's not a good guy going forward. He is in gangs and whatnot, and they were showing a lot of gameplay for it too. I haven't played much of the Mafia games. I, I would probably play this once it goes on sale, but it did look very cool, actually. And then the last one for me is we did get a lot more footage on the Attack on Titan game because I've been saying I really Which hope it's going to be like good. it might not. Suck. It looks like it might be great. What are you talking about? I it, it was staying fairly accurate to the art style of the 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 anime, um, maybe a little bit softer, but just as visceral as the the anime and the gameplay looked pretty solid. Okay, Vince, let's go with you. Any um, parting thoughts? Games? Let Joe go first since he's about to turn into a pumpkin. Yeah. Joe? Honestly, I thought it was a solid E3 all around. Um, there was a lot of things for me to be excited about, a lot of things that were some disappointments. But overall, I'm going to chalk it up as a good E3. I got enough that I'm looking forward to the rest of this year and the beginning of next year out of it. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Vince? All right, then. Yeah, so a couple ones. Uh, of course, Persona 5. Because we got a lot uh, a lot more gameplay stuff, some more character reveals. But also a lot of people are super pissed off because they still don't realize Atlas is still a very small company in the game development world. Like they're expecting they're, – they're upset because they've just basically started the localization prog- process because, I mean, you know, Final Fantasy 15 is coming out the same time across the world in all the different languages because Square can afford to have their translators – on board as part of the development process. Atlas can't. They have to wait until the script is complete before they can start translating it because they're not going to spend the extra money retranslating when they have to do rewrites. It's just, it's the way it is. Same thing with it not having Japanese audio. If you put the Japanese audio into the Western versions of the game, you have to pay the Japanese voice actors again because their voices are being used in the game. Persona is very popular amongst a small amount of game players. They simply cannot afford to do all these things that 
bigger, more profitable companies can. So, I mean, I'm super excited for it. I just find it really weird that a lot of people are really upset because Atlas is still a relatively small game development company. Yeah. Civilization six looks fucking awesome. <laughs> you were talking about how unheard of it is for the Zelda demo to have like a 30 minute time. If you booked an appointment for civilization six, it was a two hour appointment Jesus. because they can't show off this game in 10 minutes. And it looks great. I love all the changes they're making to the city building, uh, the way they're keeping combat uh, simplified like it was in Civilization V, but still giving it some of the uh, older Civilization levels of uh, control. Just absolutely really loving what they're doing here. But the big one for me, because I helped make this game, (laughs) Bloodstained. Uh, This was its first gameplay demo. They had a full level of the game as an actual playable demo, and holy shit, they've nailed it. It looks amazing. It plays great. Uh, On the, I think it was the official Sony stream or the official Twitch stream, I forget which one, they actually brought in Rom Scout, who is a well-known Castlevania speedrunner, to get his hands on the game. And within five minutes, he's like, this is amazing. Like, he was already pulling off, like, some really crazy combat moves and speedrunning strats. This game looks absolutely solid, and I can't wait for it to be finished. What the hell are you talking about? You helped make it. I kickstarted Back it. Back to Kickstarter, oh, okay. yeah. Well, that doesn't count. Yes, it does. My, na- my name is actually <laughs> going to be in the credits of this game. I helped make it. <laughs> well, I, can't wait I shouldn't say my name. It's game. mine and Alicia's because it was a joint venture. But yes. Jackass. All right. You got anything else or we could note? I think that's a good ending for me. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Let us know in the comments what were some of your favorite games. Of course, you can find the comments at ForTheLore.com, and you can find us on Twitter, myself at ZenBuddhist, Joe is at LoaderZJ, and Vince is at Samodian. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitchers. Leave us some comments there. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by ForTheLore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.